This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to the conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are myself, Anna Thompson, and my colleague, Rebecca Daly. And I'm pretty excited about what we've got coming up. Summer is about having fun, but also a little bit of learning. Uh, And we've got some exciting activities coming up. So for anyone who has interns in their lives, if they think they've seen all that downtown has to offer, we're going to give them a chance to test that theory and their competitive spirit in a team-based Memphis-themed scavenger hunt. It's going to go through some of our favorite historical and cultural spots and give them an opportunity to explore the eclectic South Main District with New Memphis. Uh, So if anyone is interested in joining for that, they can meet us at Central Barbecue Downtown for the Memphis Scavenger Hunt on July 13th at 5.30 p.m. This program is specifically... uh, tailored to interns and college students. So it's a great way to get them involved in the city. Also coming up is the New Memphis Leadership Summit on August 11th. This is an opportunity to level up your leadership skills with a full-day conference designed with professional growth in mind. The New Memphis Leadership Summit is a perfect resource for teams and individuals to gain skills, strength, new perspectives, and engage with other community members and organizations. We do have early bird tickets available now through July 14th. So you want to get your tickets soon so you can get the best pricing. Uh, and we also have team rates available. So you can head to our website, newmemphis.org slash events for more information and tickets. Absolutely. So like Rebecca said, um, this awesome early bird deal will end at the end of the week. So please be sure to grab your individual tickets and or group tickets. Now, now is the best time to buy and save for this full day conference. So speaking of the Leadership Summit, today's episode is focused on just that different styles of leadership and leadership in action. New Memphis believes that it's not enough to just talk the talk, but you also need to walk the walk. So we are taking a look back at some individuals who are doing just that. Um, We believe that with greater leadership knowledge comes the empathy and passion for activation. So whether that is volunteering around town, speaking up in a meeting, or even following a lifelong dream of yours to make that a reality, we believe that activation um, is the fruit that comes from leadership and leadership knowledge. In that spirit, we are rewinding a bit to February of this year for the TEDx Memphis Conference. You can find videos of all of the 2023 TEDx Memphis talks on YouTube, and we will, of course, link those in the show notes. TEDx Memphis is a conference dedicated to ideas worth spreading, and we had the opportunity to put voices on stage to share their ideas for building leaders. One particular speaker that not only started off the day, but also pioneered a new way of thinking was the one and only Kelly English. Kelly English cooks at Restaurant Iris, Fino's, and The Second Line in Memphis, Tennessee, and Magnolia House in Biloxi, Mississippi. He really likes doing that, and he wouldn't want to do anything else. Sometimes people say nice things about him and his food, and they occasionally print it in magazines, like Food and Wine, when they named him Best New Chef in 2009. Kelly has a heart for the city and its people, and he leads his business with the same passion. We'd like to share his 2023 TEDx Memphis talk with you this morning and as one example of leadership in action. 
Here is Kelly English's TED Talk titled Fear of Being First. Y'all do me a favor. Give me a quick raise your hand if you've ever heard of a band named The Flaming Lips. Awesome. So they have an album entitled Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. It's a concept album. And the first track on that record is called Fight Test. And Fight Test is all about this guy and this girl in a relationship together. And the girl wants the guy to fight for her. He's not quite ready to do that. He wants to play it cool. He wants to go let her do her thing. She'll eventually come back. I think we know how this goes. He loses the girl, right? And it reminds me of a time in my life where I was the guy and the girl were my businesses and the 78 people that made them up. And what happened was in one day, I laid 71 people off. You know, people think that chefs are these really creative beings. And we constantly just whip things up. It's true in moments. We're routine-based. We're creatures of habit. I wake up in the morning. I have coffee. I write a list. I take that list, and I put it on the ticket rail, and I get my onions out. I cut them up. I get them on the stove to sweat, not to caramelize, but to sweat. And in the meantime, I get my garlic, and I mince it. I dice my shallots, pick my herbs, put my salt on the left and my pepper on the right. If you ever want to mess with a chef, reverse their salt and pepper. <laughs> that will spin in circles, literal physical circles. So I'm going to put that back together. I have everything in order. Everything is right where I need it. And really, restaurants and the military are very similar. You have generals, privates, executive chefs, line cooks, Orders flow down, information flows back up. Everything about a restaurant is really a routine if you think about it. Let me take you to any fancy restaurant, okay? So you're gonna walk in the front door and someone's gonna say, welcome to fancy restaurant, how may I help you? And you're gonna say, I'd like a table. They say, right this way. They bring you, seat you down, put a menu in front of you and say your server will be right with you. In less than one minute, the server shows up, pours you water, tells you about the specials, ask you if you'd like anything else to drink. Diet Coke, sure, be right back. Diet Coke comes to the table, may I take your order? You give the order to the server, server brings it back to the kitchen. Kitchen prepares it in a routine manner based on things they've done over and over to the best of their ability. It's delivered to you, you eat it, we hope you enjoy it, and then we need you to pay. <laughs> Every single restaurant interaction, right? Any disruption in our routine changes your experience and the way in which you will enjoy your meal. So let's go back to the military for a second. We're all in an aircraft carrier. We know what our job is when we wake up in the morning. We go to bed, we wake up, we're getting ready, an alarm sounds. We've gotta get up to the flight deck. We get up there and we see over the horizon an enemy that we are not prepared to fight. We've never seen this before. And as we bring our eyes back to the aircraft carrier, we recognize that the water is no longer even water. It's a substance, but we've never seen it before. And there's chaos everywhere. People are running left and right, trying to get to their routines, trying to get to the places that they know how to fight, but it has nothing to do with that enemy. 
And amongst all this, I turned to my team of 78 people, and they want to know the entire plan. What are we going to do? And so that moment, I recognize that I can't take care of them. So I find a life raft. I put 71 of them on it, and I shove them across this substance, in my estimation, in the opposite direction of the enemy. And I get my seven people that are left together, and I say, the only way we're going to get them back is if we jump off this aircraft carrier and swim in this substance directly, as fast as we can, at the enemy. COVID was so tough. It was tough on all of us in different ways, some of us worse than others. But we all share one thing, the beginning of it. Do you remember how uncertain it was? We didn't have answers, let alone questions. All we knew is that the sickness was popping up in places. And when it popped up, it would spread like wildfire. And people would die. I remember being in the meeting of those seven people after we were the first restaurant to shut down our dining rooms in Memphis. We're trying to figure out what to do. And everyone had ideas, and they weren't bad ideas, but they were all based on our routine. What, what are, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna gather people? That's our business, gather lots of people, one space. How are we gonna do this? And I remember it was so, it was so stressful. Metastasizing into anger. It was like a seven-way boxing match. And I, I faded out. And I started to go through my life experience trying to draw things that would inspire us to figure out our plan. And I came to Hurricane Katrina. The restaurant group that I worked with in New Orleans, very quickly when Hurricane Katrina hit, they, trans, they transferred what they did into feeding FEMA workers relief meals. They made sure that the people that were trying to rebuild that community were fed. At the very least, they were fed. And it got that group through. And I, as I was coming back, I came to the song Fight Test. Specifically the part where they go, there are things you can't avoid, you have to face them when you're not prepared to face them. And before I spoke, as I came out of my mind back to the table, I also realized that what I was about to say meant that I would not be able to see the woman that I loved for months. She was in the highest risk bracket that existed. And I looked at my team and I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be the best part of our community that we can be. We are going to feed the people that are trying to keep people safe, that are trying to keep people alive. And not just the people you think about, not just the doctors and the nurses, not just the, the police departments and the fire departments, but the people that are working for just above minimum wage that are sweeping and mopping these hospitals. Can you imagine? So we started doing this, and we started getting busy doing it. People saw what we were doing, and they would just send us checks to try to fund all of this. People wanted help. They didn't know how. And then the government came along, right? As we were watching everyone start to work remotely from home. And um, we can't email cheeseburgers, <laughs> not yet. 
So the government comes along with these mandates written by people that had never worked a day in my industry, telling us how to do our job, and they have no idea what we do. And about a group of 20 restaurants got together that were dissatisfied with the professional organization that was supposed to be speaking on our behalf. And we went virtually and knocked on the door of the government. And to our surprise, the government opened the door. And we said, hey, we have ideas. And they were like, sweet, we need ideas. Sit right here. And we ended up in these virtual meetings once a week where we were helping shape the framework of the response to a pandemic. One of the coolest things that a lot of people don't know about, there was an entire plan written in case the public school system, the, the, uh, the way they feed children failed to convert small businesses into the fail safe for those kids whose only meal that they are guaranteed is lunch at school sometimes. Really, really amazing work. And time went on. And now we're here, right? I've grown my, my team from seven to 124. And, and I look around at my colleagues who have done the same thing. Really, it's just, I, I didn't think we'd be here. I didn't think we'd make it. And there are three things that I came away with that I remember every day. Number one, you have to make it bigger than yourself. You quit on you. You end. There were plenty of times I wanted to quit on myself, but I would not quit on our community. I would not quit on my team. Number two, sometimes your competition are the people that are gonna get you through. They're not your enemy. And number three, most importantly, I learned that the opposite of a good decision is not a bad decision, it is indecision. It is the lack of the ability, the paralysis to make a decision. So here we are today, right? Truth or dare. And what I can tell you is that the truth that you build will be dictated by the decisions that you dare to make or that you dare not to make. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Our next featured talk is by Larwinette Williams. Her 2023 TEDx Memphis talk is titled Life's Choices, Ascend to Your Purpose or Fall for the Gimmick. There are two options in life. Either you take the more difficult path to find your purpose or you can get distracted by the easy gimmicks. Through hope, humor, and a little bit of song, Lawinette Williams guides us down the path of finding our true purpose. Lawinette Williams is a former Broadway touring artist most noted for her portrayal of Effie White in Dreamgirls, garnering a number of awards and acknowledgments throughout the country. She is a graduate of the Stella Adler Academy of Acting and Theater and has since directed and produced hundreds of artistic experiences in 14 states and three countries. She holds a BA in Communications and Speech from the University of North Texas and an MA in Sociology from the University of Southern California. She is currently the Executive Director of the Memphis Black Arts Alliance, engaging and reaching more than 100,000 artists, youth, and participants since 2016. So without further ado, here is 
Lawinette Williams' 2023 TEDx Memphis talk titled Life's Choices, Ascend to Your Purpose or Fall for the Gimmick. I'm Lawinette Williams and I am the executive director of the Memphis Black Arts Alliance and we are celebrating a legacy of African-American arts throughout this world starting right here in Memphis. How about that? Oh yeah, 40 years. 40 years of celebrating it. And in my trade, I am a multidisciplinary artist. I say that tongue-in-cheek because it's taken me a long time to be able to say I'm a multidisciplinary artist. Even I'm here in Memphis. Let's face it, most artists here are multidisciplinary. And I want you to know that throughout the world, it's not that way. Okay? No, no, no. Most other places, they find one and get that one really good. Here in Memphis, we sing, we dance, we act, we write the show, we direct it and produce it. That's Memphis. <laughs> well, and in that, being a multidisciplinary artist, I can sit tongue-in-cheek by being able to actually say those words, it didn't always start that way. I used to be, oh, I can sing, oh, I can act, oh, I can write. And a lot of persons choose that route because it's easy. You're not really accountable if you can sing or if you can act. It's like, oh, well, she can get, she could do it. And if I mess up, it's okay, right? And I'll get a little stipend, and that's good. But when you put the ER, the er, <laughs> now it's a whole new situation. Everyone expects you to be able to do it professionally, right? I am a singer. I am a writer. Okay, now you've taken ownership of it. You've done the work. You've, done the, you've disciplined yourself to perfect something so, the, so that you would be hired to do it, right? Okay, so in the er versus just I am, there's major lessons in that. The er, you're accountable. The er, if you don't deliver, they'll be mad. If you say I just am, then they'll get over it. The am is the gimmick. The am or I can is the gimmick. Okay, the er is where you want to try to be. Let's talk about that. The title of my talk today is Life Has Two Choices. Okay, we either ascend to our purpose or we fall for the gimmick. Now, the gimmick, <laughs> the gimmick is easy. There are lots of gimmicks. And let's talk about one of the uh, major ones that's going on right now with social media. Everybody's an influencer. I mean, if I'm a makeup artist, I get on there and do it. I face real pretty now. I've got a million followers, right? You make money from doing it, right? It's cool. Gimmicks are easy. They're, they're alluring. They're shiny. Versus the work that I have to do to be a professional at this. Versus the purpose. The purpose takes process. The purpose takes determination. The purpose takes work. But guess what? The purpose is worth it. It's worth it. Okay, now, so uh, when I started doing all of this, trying to figure out about the differences between purpose and gimmicks, and of course, looking at the fact that gimmicks, they're here for a time, but they very well leave pretty quickly. We we're talking about, does anybody remember MySpace? <laughs> that was just 20 years ago, and it's gone. And everybody's talking about Facebook getting ready to leave, right? I need to get my pictures before it does, but that's a whole other subject. Okay, really, literally, these things don't last that long because creators of these masterful minds are always trying to find new ways to do different things, right? So these things that are gimmicks, make the most of it while you got the opportunity because once you do, 
find the money, invest the money, save the money, but use that as a cushion so that you can fulfill your purpose, not to allow yourself to get engulfed in, I this is all I'm going to do is be an influencer. No, try to seek what is really what's inside of you because all of us really do have something special that we're here, here to do. Okay, another thing, I learned this a long time ago when I was studying that if you want to know the purpose of a thing, don't ask the thing. If you want to know the purpose of the thing, the thing doesn't know. It's the one who created the thing. Okay? I had this air fryer that I saw online and I bought it. <laughs> and I'm putting it all together, taking out the box or whatever. And I saw this little gizmo. I didn't really know where it went, but I just kind of stuck it on wherever. And lo and behold, I couldn't get that thing to work to save my life. I worked on it for about 15, 20 minutes. And then I went ahead and got a, a dinner, a frozen dinner, and put it in the microwave. That's what I had that night. <laughs> Because we don't want to take the time to read the owner's manual. Who created the owner's manual? The one who created the thing. He knows all the inner workings of the thing, all of us who created us. We have an owner's manual. There are ways to find out really what's inside of us so that we can fulfill what it is that we're here to do. Another quick one that I want to talk with you about is if purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Oh, yeah. I have this niece that I used to take her with me when I was going into the studios, and she liked to grab my brush and sing along with me. Well, one day I was in the studio, and they gave me this Sennheiser microphone. If anybody knows anything about Sennheiser, those microphones are like almost $100,000, right? And they said, look at this. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so I show it to her. See, see this? This is amazing. And I put it on the console and I'm having this conversation with the producer. My niece grabs this in the house and she's swinging around. Whoa, no, 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 no. I can't afford to do anything with that. I said, give it back. Whatever. And the reason why is because she's just used to grabbing that brush and singing in the brush. She doesn't understand the value of the microphone. If purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So it's really, really important that we understand the purpose of things. Many people abuse themselves because they don't fully know we have a gift. We do something. We don't fully know what we're here to do. But I challenge you to seek it out. I have one story to leave with you. There once was a wonderful, gorgeous, cute little lump of clay. This little clay was over in the corner along with other lumps of clays. And the potter decided to take it and put it on the wheel. Well, when he put it on the wheel, the lump of clay was like, okay, what's going on? And he started going around and around and around on this wheel, getting dizzy. He's like, what's going on? Then he's pinched, being pinched. What's going on? Oh, my God. Pinched and pulled and dragged and all these things and cut. He's like, why are you doing this to me? It's hurting. It's hurting. Then he takes the lump of clay, puts it in the fire, bakes it in the fire. He's like, ah! Takes the lump of clay, put it back on the wheel, turns it around again. He's going again. Like, oh, my God. Douses it. And then all of a sudden he puts paint, paint and everything on the lump of clay. He's painting. He's like, this is fumes. What are you doing? Then he takes the lump of clay again and puts it in the oven again. He was like, I give up. I just, I cannot, I don't understand why you're taking me through all of this. I thought we were friends. He takes the lump of clay, brings it back, cleans it off, shines it up, puts it in a curio, and there the lump of clay was. 
passers-by stopped and looked at the lump of clay. The lump of clay is sad. But these people are looking. He's like, why, why are you looking at me? The lump of clay was now a teacup, a beautiful teacup. And the people bought it for the highest price of any teacup in the building. And he said, that's me. That's who I am. This is who I was supposed to be all along. Exactly. You will be bruised. You will be beaten. People will talk about you. People won't like you. People will pull you. Things will happen. But I tell you, put that checkered flag in front of you. Put those blinders down and keep going. No matter what. No matter if you're blue, as Vicky wanted you to say, lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated. All of those various different things will happen to you when you're on your way to your purpose. But all of that is for a destined time. And when you get there, you will find that you're stronger, you're better, and you're bigger than you ever thought you could be. But more importantly, you'll be fulfilled in doing what you are here to do. I leave with you a song that I wrote for a show. And I'm going to do just a little bit of it. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You have a purpose in this world. You have a special purpose in this world, in this world. God bless you. Our next talk takes a look at leadership in a new light. How might organizations, communities, and lives be different if we were aware of and committed to improving a few key competencies? Kathleen Terry Sharp uses her experience, training, and coaching skills to help executives, teams, and individuals lead more effectively. She integrates equine-assisted learning experiences to illuminate what horses can teach us about ourselves and effective collective leadership. She founded Equa Insights LLC in 2019 and has served as the executive director of the Echo Foundation since 2013. As a certified fundraising executive, she has raised $55 million for colleges, universities, and small nonprofits. Kathleen is also a certified equine-assisted learning practitioner with advanced certification in corporate facilitation. Enjoy Kathleen Terry Sharp's talk titled Horses, Hippogriffs, and Insights for Humanity. When I was a child, I was obsessed with two things, horses and mythology. Horses have always seemed magical. They're beautiful. They're graceful. They're powerful, and they partner with humans in ways no other animal does. The myths I loved the most were inspired by horses, and my favorite was the hippogriff. Half horse and half griffin, or in the world of Harry Potter, half eagle, they are fierce, powerful creatures with shimmering coats and big talons. They are also beautiful and graceful and dangerous, deadly even. According to mythology, they are intensely proud creatures, and they demand respect. And you do this by bowing before you approach them and seeing if they bow in return. If he doesn't, you've offended him in some way, and you are going to get hurt. But if he does bow to you, he will be loyal and protective of you. You've earned his trust, been accepted as part of his herd. Isn't that what a lot of us want? 
be part of a herd, to belong. When I was a girl, my sister and I spent as much time as we could with horses. And we learned a lot about responsibility, trust, communication, when to move quickly and when to slow down, how to keep each other safe, and how to find joy in being together. And as an adult, I am still obsessed with horses, and I've come to understand that they are not just magical creatures. They are gifted teachers with insights for us as humans. They have a lot to teach us about what it means to live in community, what it means to be truly and authentically ourselves, what it takes to be a leader, and what we should expect from our leaders. Here are a few of the insights that have helped horses not just survive, but to create healthy and sustainable communities for thousands of years. First, they know a fundamental truth that we humans do not, and that is that we are safer together than we are apart. When horses are in danger, they come close together. They put their vulnerable in the middle. They surround them. They protect them. We humans tend to do the opposite. We spread out. We scatter. We take out off on our own. Isn't that what always happens in horror movies? Everybody runs in different directions to get away from the killer, and they all end up dead. <laughs> How much safer would they be if they stayed together, fought together, and protected each other? Horses also know that leadership is shared. They live in what June Gunter of Teaching Horse describes as the diamond model of shared leadership. This is an ancient and highly effective framework for understanding what it takes to get safely and successfully through the unknown together. It's based on herd behavior, and it understands and recognizes the leadership happens from the front, the middle, and behind the herd. And it identifies four key leadership capabilities that are necessary. Attention. What needs our attention? What do we notice about ourselves, others, and our environment? Direction. Choosing a direction by having a focus and a vision, knowing where we're going, and understanding when and how we need to course correct. Energy. Setting a pace that matches reality without under- or overreacting to changes in the environment. And congruence. Aligning our inner and outer expressions so we show up as we truly are and we can be trusted. All four of these capabilities are essential for a leader to be worth following. How much stronger could our leaders be if we spent time and energy in developing these capabilities, particularly in our youth, our next generation of leaders? Horses live and lead without judgment. They don't care what your title is, how much money you make, or how big your house is. <laughs> they live outside. <laughs> they, care, <laughs> they care how you show up with the capabilities. And with horses, it's not about hierarchy and rank, because they know it's about roles that share leadership. And it's not about seniority, although they do know that wisdom comes with age and experience. And they don't hold on to past behavior. When problems arise in a herd, they deal with it immediately, with hooves and teeth, and sometimes really loudly. But then it's over, and they move on together, and they do not carry the baggage with them. What could our relationship look, look like? How much healthier could they be if we did not hold on to past hurts? How much more effective could our organizations be if we didn't show up to meetings with preconceived notions and judgment because we know it's going to happen? It always does. 
What if we expected others to show up with our collective best interest at heart? Horses also live diversity, equity, and inclusion. They don't care where you came from or who your people are. They don't even care how big you are. Sometimes it's the little guys that have mastered the capabilities that step into those leadership roles, and the big horses follow them. With horses, leadership is not gender-dependent. Males and females can serve in any of the roles. They're constantly collaborating and working together to move the herd forward. Who would leaders be if we chose them, not based on what they look like, where they came from, or what their political party is? What if we based our, our choice of leaders on their strengths? Finally, and perhaps most importantly, horses know leaders need to rest. When equine leaders are tired, and they do get tired, they have to move pretty quickly sometimes, they come to the center of the herd where they are surrounded and protected, and other members step up into those leadership roles so that they can lie down and sleep. That whole thing about horses only sleeping standing up is totally not true. <laughs> there is so much to learn from horses. And this is why I facilitate educational opportunities for people with horses. Through activities, observation, and discussion, we get to experience this for ourselves. And we do it with middle schools all the way up to C-suite executives and entire organizations. This work is so effective because when we're with the horses, they treat us like another horse. They hold us to the same expectations that they have of their herd members. It's really quite powerful because, you see, their feedback is immediate and has no judgment attached to it at all. They respond to what we think, what we feel, and what we do. If I change my behavior, the horse will change hers. This lets me see how my leadership behavior impacts the horses, positively or negatively. And then I can take that and I can change how I interact with humans. And it works. We learn what needs our attention and what does not. How to set healthy boundaries. How to create effective teams that get us where we want to be. And we learn how to trust ourselves. And this is so beautiful because when we trust ourselves, it inspires others to trust us. These are the lessons that I've spent the last five years learning, living, and now helping horses to teach. Last summer, I had the opportunity to go to Return to Freedom, which is a wild horse sanctuary out in California. I went with several colleagues to see these behaviors in the wild for ourselves. And while I was there, I had an encounter that's really difficult to put into words, but I'm going to try. On the last day, we went to see the stallions. Now, these are males that lived with their families wild and free. They have never been domesticated. But eventually, they were rounded up on the range, and they were brought to return to freedom to live out their days together. We entered a very large field with eight of these magnificent beasts. <laughs> and as we got to the middle of the, the field, one of them started walking very purposefully toward me. He was a giant. He had legs like tree trunks and feet like dinner plates, and his head was the size of a tire. And it was covered with bumps and gnarls and scars from past battles. 
And as he approached me, somebody behind me said, he looks like a dragon. (laughs) And he did. He was iridescent, and he shimmered gold. He took my breath away, quite literally, because we were nose to nose, greeting each other by exchanging breath, as horses do. That is how they do it. And as I stood there with his face and my face, I was really aware he could hurt me with a strike of his hoof or a swing of that ginormous head. Instead, what I felt was awe and gratitude and a little bit of disbelief that this was actually happening to me. We stayed like this, just being present with each other for quite a while. And eventually he lowered his head and he ambled away. And in that moment, I knew that I had just met a real live hippogriff. (laughs) And we had bowed to each other. I felt safe. I felt trusted. I felt accepted by him. My attention, direction, and energy were aligned with his. I was truly myself, fully congruent. And he knew it. This was one of the most profound experiences in my entire life. And I am so grateful for all of the people and the opportunities and the horses that have allowed me to grow and brought me to this time and this place to share this truth with you. Post-COVID, we live in an increasingly fractured society. The concepts of collective attention, collective direction, collective energy, and collective congruence provide a lens for us to come together and choose the leaders we need to address our shared concerns. Quality education, access to healthcare, social services that work, and keeping all of us safe. I dare us to envision a community where we live more like horses, grounded in the capabilities of attention, direction, energy, and congruence sharing leadership, protecting our vulnerable, resting when we need to, and trusting each other to get through these uncertain times together. We can build healthy and sustainable communities for us. On that gorgeous hippogriff, they call him Elvis. How cool is that? All of the 2023 TEDx Memphis Talks will be linked in the show notes for you to explore in your own time. So be sure to visit the link. This week, we'd like to challenge you to think of your own leadership style. Are there ways you wish it were stronger? Do you have questions about what your strengths as a leader are? Consider joining us for the New Memphis Leadership Summit on August 11th. We promise it will inspire activation. We hope you've enjoyed this look back at the 2023 TEDx Memphis Conference and gained some insights about how to activate on your own leadership style. Till next week. Bye. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.